This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Pain Show. I was just laughing, Jesse, because I was thinking, okay, so last episode, we talked about how to find time for romance when you have kids. Today, we're going to talk about what we wish we knew before having kids. And probably one of the things right off the bat was, it's harder to find time for romance. But if you want to know our secrets or tips or strategies for the romance, you're going to have to go back and listen to the last episode. So we're going to talk about that, and I'm excited to have that discussion. But first, we've got some other things to share. Um, so what's saving my life this week? I have wanted to talk about this for the last three or four weeks, but I we kept running out of space because we had so many things to talk about, and that is Silas did something for me. And I think this goes along with the what we wish we knew before having kids um, again, and that is just the joy, the depth of joy that you can find from your kids. And that was, so he, we talked about the, their week without walls and his class went to multiple just local locations. And one of them was a local science center and they gave them each $10 because there's a budget for this week without walls. And so they get to kind of do some fun stuff and they get meals and some different things like that. Anyway, they gave them each a budget of $10 to spend at the gift shop and they could spend it on whatever they wanted. Well, Silas comes home. I had no idea that this was, you know, they were getting the $10 and he goes, mom, I got something for you. 
and he pulls out this necklace that is perfect for me and also says my name on it. And I was like, where did you get that from? And he's like, oh, well, they gave us each $10 to spend at the gift shop and I wanted to find something for someone else. And so I found this necklace and it was just perfect for you. And it was $10. He said, now, I didn't know that I was going to have to pay the tax, but, (laughs) um, and it just meant so much to me. Like he could have bought, I'm sure they had candy. I'm sure they had fun stuff that he could have gotten for himself. But the fact that he thought about me in the middle of his day and wanted to do something that blessed me, it just, you know, it was a small gesture, but a huge thing for me because it meant so much. And I feel like as moms, there are many days when it's hard and it's monotonous and you're thinking, I'm investing so much time. I'm sacrificing a lot. Is it really worth it? And then you have those necklace moments that just remind you that it is worth it. And I'm just grateful. I feel like God kind of just plops those in my lap every now and then just as kind of this shot in the arm of like, keep going, keep going, keep going. I also am listening to a really fascinating book right now, Jesse. It's called The Last Bookshop of London. And I had it had been recommended to me by a lot of people. I think it's a more modern novel. You'd mentioned this book, hadn't you? I don't think I mentioned it. I think you mentioned that you were going to read it or going to listen to it. I, I think know. I don't know. I thought I was about beneath the scarlet sky, but who knows? Because I've been Pregnancy brain, I have had so many typos uh-huh. on so many things. It's very possible. Maybe last week I, I talked about this. I don't know. I don't think so because I just started it in the last week. Um, but it's a very interesting, it's a World War II novel, but it's written in a very different, I feel like, tone than a lot of World War II novels that I've listened to or read. And I think because it's it's written kind of sharing the story of someone who lives in London, a Mm -hmm. woman, single woman who lives in London during when everything is going down. And it really just kind of slowly unfolds the story of what it is like Mm -hmm. on that side. And it's not like she's going out on the battlefront. It's, it's not, it's not about all that. I mean, obviously there are you know, they talk about Dunkirk and they they talk about those types of things, but it's very much from the perspective of like what it would be like to be an everyday citizen mm-hmm. living in London during World War II. And so they talk about planting the gardens. They talk about what the air raids were like and just kind of in depth and in detail about rationing. And I just have found it really interesting. Like, just very well written. And you would think, I guess I feel like that maybe it doesn't have the same thrill and excitement as many of the World War II novels do, but it's just kind of this quiet Mm -hmm. unfolding of the story that is really important. I mean, this was... It's almost, it's a novel built around like the domestic side of things. Yes. And this was such a big part. Mm -hmm. And just to put yourself in the shoes of the people who stayed back. Right. And what that was like. Well, and and also what you have to think about, they weren't just staying back. They were fighting in their backyard. Mm-hmm. 
and getting, I mean, bombed. I was just listening to a part where he was talking about like this one night she had after months and months of just kind of like living the everyday hardships of the war, her friend convinced her that they had these like basement areas where you could go dancing. And so her friend had convinced her to go with her this one night and go to this dance hall that was in this basement. And she did. And it was like the first time in months and months and months that she didn't think about the war. And Mm -hmm. so for a few hours that night, she didn't think about the war at all. And then they came up out of the basement and there had been bombings that night. And because the music had been so loud and there was so much going on, like they didn't hear it. Uh And nobody in this basement hotel told them that this was going on. And she just talked about how sick she felt to her stomach. Like Mm. there she was dancing when up right above there were people who needed help. And just thinking of like what it would be like to Mm -hmm. just like that tension of, you know, you're not fighting the war per se in a literal sense, but yet you're losing so much and, you know, Mm -hmm. what it was like to lose people very close to them that they loved and all of that. But also she's helping run a bookshop. She's an assistant to a bookshop owner. And and so there's a lot of references to classic books and all of that. So if you love World War II, if you um, love World War II, if you enjoy reading World War II novels, um, or you just love books, or you love history, I think you'd really, really enjoy this. I'm almost finished with it. Um, Again, it was called The Last Bookshop of London. You know, as you were talking, I was looking up on my um, Facebook here, and it reminded me of a post that I had reposted, the temporary rules in 1941 for the Richmond Golf Club in London, England. And it was... it's hard to put yourself in, in, in those shoes at, at that, that time period. But obviously, like this in this novel, she went dancing, had to have a diversion. Well, one diversion people had was they still went out and played golf, mm-hmm. right? But these rules, temporary rules, kind of illustrated what it must have been like and the gumption and guts that you had to go out and actually play golf. It said in the first, the first rule is, Players are asked to collect the bomb and shrapnel splinters to save these causing damage to to save these from causing damage to the mowing machines. Second, in competitions during gunfire or while bombs are falling, players may take shelter without penalty or ceasing play. Three, the positions of known delayed action bombs are marked by red flags at a reasonable but not guaranteed safe distance therefrom. Four, shrapnel and or bomb splinters on the fairways or in bunkers within the club a club's length of a ball may be moved without penalty and no penalty shall be incurred if a ball is thereby caused to be moved accidentally five a ball moved by an enemy action may be replaced or if lost or destroyed a ball may be dropped not near the hole without penalty six a ball lying in a crater may be lifted and dropped not near the hole, preserving the line to the hole without penalty. And seven, a player whose stroke is affected by the simultaneous explosion of a bomb may play another ball penalty one stroke. I mean, come on. It reminds me of when I was in Israel and we went and visited, I 
can't remember the name of the area, but it was an area that was right on the border. And there, it sounded like from what they told us, you know, there's just constant Mm -hmm. fighting, a war just going on all the time. And they have all these gardens and, you know, they're like farming and right next to it is like, you can see where there's, you know, they're like, oh yeah, three days ago there was, you know, fighting that happened right there. And it was just so weird to me. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, to be living your normal everyday life, I mean, planting things, you know, I would be thinking at any moment, like we can, our lives are in danger. Well, but but think about it. If you live that way, like what you're saying, you wouldn't get anything done. Yeah. Because you'd just be in constant fear. Yeah. So it was just, it was such a good reminder to me of like, you know, sometimes the best thing is instead of living in fear, put your head down and do the next right thing. And what is that? And for them, yeah. it was plant your gardens. And you know, I saw something that the reality of living like that and the potential of violence is actually the the rule and the peaceful time periods that we live in is the exception to the rule, mm-hmm. historically speaking. Don't know how valid it is, but it definitely makes you think. I feel like there's no good segue from this, but that was a rabbit trail that we didn't know we were going to yeah. go down. Well, I think it's be, speaking about having children. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, we wish we knew before having kids. This was a request that came in from someone. She asked if we would talk about this. And I just thought it's a it's an important topic. It's an interesting topic. Jesse, I have no idea what you're going to share. Um, Neither do I. <laughs> I have some things written down, so I'll start. I think one of the biggest things for me going into having kids, we were blessed in that we came both came from larger families. We'd been around a lot of kids I'd babysat, worked as a mother's helper, and had a lot of experience with kids. And so it wasn't the type of thing where it's like, I never changed a diaper, never you know rocked a baby to sleep, anything like that. But I think there with that also came some confidence that was misplaced in the sense of i think that both you and i had this very rosy unrealistic viewpoint of how we were going to be as parents <laughs> i think everybody is though i think so the biggest thing for me is that i wish that i knew ahead of time that i couldn't control them and That sounds weird, but I think... Is this before marriage or before... I think I went into parenting feeling like, well, you follow the rules, you do A, B, C, D, Uh and you're going to get X, Y, Z. Yeah. And to recognize we can't save our kids. Right. And we can exhaust ourselves trying to be their savior and their Holy Spirit and trying to micromanage their life. But in the end... They're ultimately responsible for their choices and decisions. And so it's our job to walk with them. It's our job to model, you know, behavior for them. It's our job to teach them and to train them and to provide boundaries and consequences and all of those things. But at the end of the day, they're going to turn 18. Right. Or many kids before they turn 18, like you ultimately can't control them. Mm-hmm. But I think. I spent probably the first 10 years of parenting stressing 
about my kids' behavior and stressing about them making good choices and stressing about them doing the right thing. And honestly, really the only thing that that resulted in was tension in our relationship and stress in my heart. Yep. And so releasing that and saying, God, you love them more than I even do. And I can trust you. And I want to you know, pour into them and love them and teach them and train them and model character for them. But I give the results to you mm-hmm. because I can't control those. And I think that as parents, we would have the tendency to take responsibility for those bad decisions when that's not our responsibility to bear as well. Yeah, I think, you know, in parenting, it's so easy to feel like my child's choices are 100% the result of what I do or don't do. Mm -hmm. And there is responsibility. We do take responsibility, but we aren't their Savior and Holy Spirit. Like we talked about, we can't save our kids. And so when they grow up, they're going to make decisions that are going to be different than us. And are we going to sit there and just be so angry with them or stressed with them or frustrated with them or angry, stressed, and frustrated with ourselves that we must have done something wrong, that we dropped the ball, and that it's completely our fault? And so I think there's a fine line balance between recognizing our responsibility, but also God's sovereignty. And so having those two things, I feel like they run on parallel tracks and we, yes, take responsibility, but we also release to God and trust his sovereignty. I think one of the other things that I wish that I had known is that loving them is more important than lecturing them. And again, I feel like a lot of the first years of my parenting were spent lecturing. I preached (laughs) a lot of sermons. I had a lot of really good things to say. But what they ultimately need is for me to walk with them, to love them, to step into their world, to care about what they care about, to listen to them. And as I've stepped back and done a lot more asking and questions and leading with questions and curiosity, instead of just jumping into the lecture, it's really strengthened our relationships. And I think it's so easy for us to just not even hear what they're saying, to just be, you know, okay, that behavior's bad. We got to fix it. And so we jump into sermon mode to lecture mode, and we don't stop to ask why. Stop to hear their heart. Stop to acknowledge their feelings. And we just jump to conclusions and jump to like, here's the end result we need to get to. And I think the journey of getting there is really what's most important. And that's where you really build relationships is in that process of just talking and listening and hearing their hearts. The relationship is so much more important than the end result. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, if you have the relationship 
and you in your heart kind of have a certain direction that you want that relationship to go, it naturally will go that direction. If you don't have a relationship and you're trying to reach a goal, it's almost guaranteed that it won't reach that. You won't be reaching Mm -hmm. that goal. You won't be walking alongside in relationship with the child together. Well, and I was also thinking, you know, we always talk about how we're raising adults, not dependent kids, and how if we're thinking long-term for our relationship with them when they're out of the house, at that point, our rules aren't going to matter. It's our relationship because they're going to be on their own. Like they're going to be, let's hope, independently able to make their own choices and decisions. Like we need to let them go to do that. And so at that point, what is going to bind us together? It's not going to be any of the rules that we set. It's going to be the relationship that we built. And so parenting with the end in mind, instead of the here and now, stressing over getting it perfect and that we wanted you know, them to always make the perfect choices and always have the perfect behavior and always just do exactly what we want them to do. Instead, let's think of how do we build a lifelong, lasting relationship with them? And so I try to think of that a lot. I mean, especially, you know, Catherine's 17 now. and Don't remind me. <laughs> it's, I think it's very much in our faces that, you know, as we're parenting, like we're getting to the end of the road in our active parenting Mm -hmm. with her. And so what are we doing on a day-to-day basis to build those ties for future? Mm -hmm. And so then I relate that to also, you know, Caitlin's 14, Silas is almost 13. And so it's like, what do I do with them now? And And it just changes the way that you parent. And I feel like we are parenting our younger ones from a much different mindset. And I'm grateful, even though I tell Catherine, sorry, you had to be the guinea pig. (laughs) She's very gracious about it. But she did have to walk through a lot of us really trying to figure things out, making a lot of mistakes. I think the final thing that I'll share is just I wish I had known how much fun they would be and that when I choose to step into their world to just enjoy them, it's so much fun. And I'm not being naive and saying there aren't hard things and challenges and battles and struggles and all of that, but we get to choose our attitude. We get to choose our approach. And if we have this attitude of, oh my goodness, I have teenagers, pray for me. It's so hard. Teenagers are awful. They're so difficult. And we go into parenting teens with that mentality, that is going to really shape our perspective. And they're going to pick up on it too. But if we go into it with, I love my kids and I am so grateful to be their parent and I want to walk with them and love them and enjoy them and have fun with them. So how can we make that happen? It just makes life so much more enjoyable. And so I wish that I had known that having teenagers was going to be so much fun. And I just feel like it's kind of, I'm on a mission to shout from the rooftops 
parenting teens doesn't have to be this awful thing. It can be really enjoyable. So choose your perspective, choose your mindset, and know that there are going to be rocky days. There are going to be hard days. But like I shared earlier, if you look for them, there are many necklace moments all along the way if you have eyes to see them. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 